It's a good show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to We'll See You in Hell. It's a Sunday morning. We're here, Pat Walsh and myself. Uh, we've got a couple of mimosas. Oh, I didn't realize you were starting over completely. Well, you wanted to... I mean, to... we didn't have that much material. We, we, we got on the mics, immediately started shitting on everyone and everything. Felt bad about it. I thought we'd go back a couple minutes. You didn't. You didn't miss much, folks. That was the whole thing. It was. A, it was literally after the hello. We started shitting on. Everybody. It was basically yeah. Hello, right into shitting. But uh, we're doing mimosas. Yeah, we got a couple mimosas here, like gentlemen do. Late morning. I, I am, as I said on the previous recording that we cut, I am approaching a Dennis Hopper level of, God knows what, you know. I think I'm two ticks away from living like on a farm where I shoot watermelons with a machine gun. <laughs> right. You know, like uh, I'm. Wouldn't uh, you have a better time? I know I would. I'd have a much better time. Yeah. I'd have a much better time. So I think I'd rather shoot like a can and enjoy the delicious watermelon. Especially if you're on a farm, you're you're away from the grocery store. Well, the fun of shooting the watermelons explodes like a right. body. I right. think is the whole thing. Kind of looks like guts flying out. I sure. think that's why it's fun. Sure. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know. I never shot one. Have I never you, shot have a you played my VR yet? I see it up there. I did. How is it? Well, it's my VR because you gave it to me. Right, right. But um, it's amazing. Okay. It is an incredibly, incredibly. It, it it surpassed anything, you know, we all know what VR is, and we all know what it's supposed to do, and and you have an idea of it. But when I d actually did it finally, mm -hmm. it blew past anything. I set it up just because I was having friends over one night to play games, and I was like, mm -hmm. I should set this up. So I was like, all right, I'll I popped in the demo disc, and I was sitting on the couch by myself, g giggling like incessantly. It was so cool. Um... It's amazing. I played it for right. about six minutes before I felt like I was going to vomit everywhere. Okay. Uh, but I do plan on playing it again. Uh, but it was, it's incredible. I may have Batman, but I hear that's the game to get. Batman's supposed to be great. I got a PlayStation 4, and I've yet to play a single game. I played that giant thing-looking monster game for five minutes. What game? Something two Quake two or oh, okay. It's it's like it, lo it looks like thing from the Fantastic Four. It jumps around. It might be a child's game, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Might be a House of Pain yeah. based game. A lot of jumping, but it was fun. Uh, and can you do VR porn with it? You apparently can. Well, you got to do that. I. <sighs> One of those things, man. It's like heroin. You're like, do, do we want to open this door? You know, like, I mean, it's a lot less, uh, you know, risk, a lot less emotional damage, a lot less. I I would argue the emotional damage part of it. <laughs> um, it's just, sure. it's a big, it's a big door to walk through. Uh, I'm not against it. Yeah, I just, I'm, you know, you have to. It's not just like you pop the headset on and you have VR porn. Like, there, you have to take several steps to get it onto the PlayStation. So I, I'm just... buy a, a porn disc, right? Or you could just porn. do that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even think of that. I mean, you got to try it. Or, yeah, or I, leave the room and let me try it. I, <laughs> I will eventually. I just... Right now, I don't... You know, I'm like, all right, maybe if maybe we just do it the old-fashioned way for now. Do you like the POV pornography? <clears throat> yeah. It's not, it's not really my thing. Why? You like to see a man's face? <laughs> well, it's just, it's like, am I really supposed to forget that this isn't my penis that you're yeah. pleasuring? I'm supposed to believe this is my giant black cock? <laughs> I don't think so, folks. It's just, okay? I, I just don't, uh, I mean, I guess VR would help, but I'm just kind of, the whole thing where they're supposed to be talking to you. I'm like, 
I'm not falling for it. I'm sorry. It's nothing to do with the the dick. I'm just. I don't know. I I, I don't I don't see how it's any more uh, believable than just watching two people bone. Either way, you're watching two people bone, but it's got this fake quality to it that I don't like. Yeah, I wonder about as, the guy. Not as realistic there. as all that other porn. It's not realistic. That's right. Pat's like, Pat likes a Gonzo style porn, something that feels like it's really happening in the moment. You mean like Muppet porn? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, a big blue bent thing. Well, nobody can 69 like Gonzo. That much I know. No. He really gets in there, both ends. Well, his nose is shaped like both a six and a nine. That's right. So that's why, right? That's right. Both ends? You j- oh, yeah. Yeah, that, it would curve right down into it. That's right. That's a good point. Thank you. Maybe, you, maybe we could make one of those hilarious, dirty puppet movies mm. that they keep making. Do you ever see that Happy Time Murders? Fuck no. Yeah, me neither. I didn't think it was funny when fucking Peter Jackson did Meet the Feebles, but at least it was original at that point. Like one of my least favorite movies, Meet the Feebles, made me sick to my stomach. He did one. The guy that directed uh, Spider Man did one. Like, like where they're cops, which was also where they were cops. No, no, the guy that directed the news, the guy that directed Cop Car. He did a dirty puppet movie. Yeah, like one of his first movies was like a dirty puppet cop movie. It's you like see it's it? been done some. No, I've seen a trailer for it. It's so fucking bad. It's like the the whole joke is, look, a puppet said fuck. Right. Or like, look, a puppet jizzed everywhere. Like, okay. And that's how fucking immature this country is, by the way. That, you know, if you put an actual person jizzing into something, they're mm-hmm. immediately like, it's porn, it's this, it's that. But then you have a puppet do it, and it's doubly as disgusting and weird. And then people go, oh, it's cute and it's funny. This fucking place sucks. This I don't know if people sucks. were saying the Happy Time Murders was cute or funny. But did they use Silly String, I assume? I, I, I would guess so, you know? And I think they... Since it's the first thing I thought of, that's probably what they did in that movie. And it's the whistle. They do one of those... Woo, 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 woo. Yeah. Whistles, I bet, when, it, when he jizzes. Right. Uh, but, I mean, it's a, it's a country of children. I see this story about... Uh, Amy Schumer got hospitalized because she, you know, she's having a, you know, just not a complication, but she's sick from being pregnant or something. Yeah. And 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 the story is about her post telling her fans like, sorry, I, I have to cancel my show because I'm sick. And she goes, I'm very, ha- I feel very lucky to be pregnant, but this is some bullshit. The whole story is about this post. They quote. That's a, a news story. Yeah. Well, that's the first problem. But they put the post. In the story, so you can read it for yourself, unedited. Then in the body of the story, yeah. they quote what she says, and they put asterisks into bullshit. What the fuck is wrong with everybody? Wh- what are we dealing with here? I don't understand. Because it a, it's a tweet culture. You, the only way to get attention is to have a headline like that. Everyone clicks on it. Gets shared around. Everyone makes the same twenty jokes about that headline. But you're you're missing my point. Not my point. I mean, that's part of my point. My point is though, they put the actual bullshit. They put the post in the fucking thing where it says bullshit, and they don't edit it. Then in the story that they write about the post that they're showing you, they oh, quote it, yes. and then when they write bullshit, they put asterisks. It's like it's right there. You already put it there. Right. Oh, this bullshit of like, well, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. That was that. I didn't do it. I'm just the world we are ugh. living in. We're we're post. We're post. What when people can can care about cussing? You know, I, I don't even understand. It's at the end times. We should all be cussing. Post 1958. Yeah, the fact that cursing is it's just for Christ's sakes. Speaking of which, I saw the trailer for. Uh, not speaking of which, I guess speaking of <laughs> cursing, I saw the trailer for Crashing Season 3 today. Have you seen it? I have, yes. Our, our friend Pete's show. 90-second uh, trailer? Yes. Featured every comedian in comedy except me. <laughs> I'm officially the only comedian that has never been on the show, even though I worked on the show. <laughs> would, you, would you ever ask no. Pete? Okay. Let me answer that question before you even finish it. Well... He doesn't listen to this, so he's he's not gonna know. No, I uh, I would not. I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, 
I, I, is I, it New York and L.A. comedians, or maybe they're just getting people who are local? Uh, it does seem... Uh, all right, in all fairness, it does seem to be mostly New York guys. Just trying to help. And trying gals. To help. So maybe that is what it is. Maybe it's just New York comics. Still, I've been in New York when they were shooting. Sure. <laughs> I mean... Hell of a business we're in. When I was working there, there was talk of two roles going to you that I, I don't think were ever offered. Uh, well, I auditioned for them. One of them was to play myself. Mm-hmm. That didn't get it. role was later changed into a woman and given to somebody else. Okay. Uh, I told him I would have played it as a woman. I would have done a Milton Berle thing in yeah. a wig and a dress. Sure. I'm not above it. You're not above much. I'm not above much, except this guy's balls. What? I was doing a blowjob oh. joke. Like I was hovering over. Gotcha. Uh, what are we talking about today? Oh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. Our first I... ever. This is a real risk. This is our first ever. Not, this doesn't fit anywhere into the genre. Well, I tell you, uh, you know, getting getting home for Thanksgiving can often seem like a horror movie. I don't know. I went and saw this picture at the Vista Theater here in Los Angeles on Friday night, midnight, so technically Saturday morning. Good turnout, almost sold out. I told Joe this story. They asked a trivia question. I was the only one in the theater that knew. Name two of the three movies that John Hughes wrote under his pseudonym, Edmund Dantes. Raise my hand, I knew all three. Beethoven, which I don't know why you'd ever be ashamed of writing Beethoven. It's a very funny movie. Made in Manhattan, get it, understood. And Drill Bit Taylor, which is also fine. I think it was Seth Rogen's uh, writing debut. But, um... The guy goes, it's this real nerd guy. No offense to the gentleman. He's wearing like a suit and glasses. Wait, Drillbit Taylor was written by Seth Rogen or John Hughes? John Hughes and then... The first two were written by John Hughes. Drillbit Taylor was story by... And I think they took his screenplay and modernized it. Okay. So Would have rather watched a movie about an actual Drillbit. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I win the thing. I'm in the back row of the Vista. And I walk all the way up to the front doing like a celebration. I had just taken an, an edible, marijuana edible, to watch my favorite comedy. So I go down. I'm like, yes! Walk down to pick up my poster. The guy doesn't even acknowledge me. He's got a poster sitting right there next to him. Mm-hmm. He just keeps talking trivia facts about the movie. Just rattling on. Okay. I'm standing there. The audience is kind of nervously laughing. It's so uncomfortable. And I'm starting to freak out on the edible. Yeah. So well, that'll do it. I mean, you're in a you're in a fucking room full of John Hughes freaks, you know. At any second, Molly Ringwald might swing in and start chastising all of you. It felt like a bad dream. I felt very exposed at the at the front of the auditorium. Sure, my, my also my cock was out, but I'm standing there. Eventually, I sit down because I couldn't face the awkwardness anymore. I sit in the front row, and the guy just keeps talking, talking, talking. And he's like, "All right, that's my time. Uh, enjoy planes, trains, automobiles." Starts walking up the aisle. I hear my friends in the back row start laughing because they've been watching me sit there uncomfortably for 15 minutes. Guy ran, it's a midnight show. The guy talks for about 25 minutes before it starts. So I go, hey, man, I, I didn't get uh, the poster. He goes, I'll give it to you after. A lot of attitude. And then walks out. Sounds like a real asshole. So I, then I stand up and walk all the way to the back row again, feeling just shamed, now, mortified. Did you get the poster? Got the poster. It's very nice. And they, they do good work. They always do a midnight movie up at the Vista. They were on Saturday night. They were going to show the uh, director's cut of Return of the King oh. starting at midnight. You get out of there at five in the morning. Oh, God. I'd rather die. The great line in Clerks, too. There's only one return, and it's of the Jedi. That's a good line. Is it? Yeah, it is. It's when they're arguing which is better, Star Wars or yeah, Lord of the Rings. That's a great line. It's great better. line? Yeah, it's in, in the context of that argument, that's great. Lord of the Rings is better. Look, look you fucking nerd. We're, there's only one return, and it's of the Jedi. That's a good line in All that right. argument. All right. You know, give Randall a little slack. Um, <sighs> you know, he didn't write the line. 
Yeah, but he delivers it with with uh, with a subtle perfection, if I may say so. Do you have any Scream and N news, Psycho <laughs> pieces? From I think the... I think the Schumer thing was that. Oh. Uh, let me see. Hold on. What's cooking this week? Let's go over to our old movieweb.com where we we hack our news from them. Uh, Bill Maher viciously bashed for insulting Stan Lee and comic book fans. Um, I rarely, rarely agree with Bill Maher, and I 100% agreed with him. I didn't even see what the hell he said. Just basically like, Enough of people acting like this is some great literature. Get over yourselves. It's dumbed down America. All movies are comic book movies. Oh, here's the quote. I don't think it's a huge stretch to suggest that Donald Trump could only get elected in a country that thinks comic books are important. I actually agree with that. Look, I've been saying it for the last two two fucking years. People are going, how is he president? I'm going, how isn't he president? Yeah. Hey, this is a fucking idiot box we're living in. Yeah. What do you think? It makes perfect sense. Everybody worshipped reality TV for the last 20 years. Everybody thinks that the only fucking goal in life is to be rich. Everybody thinks they can just be, you know, arrogant and shut you down if they if they don't like what you're saying. This is people on all sides of uh, the right and the left. Do They all do this. And they go, can you believe this billionaire guy who shuts people down and was on reality TV is... Pre- yes! I can't believe it took this long. Sorry, I'm not trying to get all political. It's all right. You know? Uh, Look at this. Somebody said, well, I feel sorry for you, Bill. Also, your show isn't exactly sophisticated television compared to Breaking Bad or a Sopranos. (laughs) What's the comparison, you fucking idiot? (laughs) I hate Bill Maher and his stupid show, but that what kind of argument is that? Those are scripted dramas. I know. It doesn't make any sense. This is an interview show. Look, I'm part of the Breaking Bad family. I don't get it. And, well, you've also never seen Breaking Bad. but I know, and I came clean about that recently to the creators. I, I, I mean, there's no one I hate more than Bill Maher. He doesn't even care about laughter. He cares about you, you clapping with each line that he says. He shuts down anyone the minute they open their mouth. It's like, just do a monologue show if you're not going to talk to anyone. I, I can't stand him. Well, Blow hard. Look, here's the thing. You know, I like, I like, uh, I, I, you know, I like comic books. I'm a fan. I also don't take offense at somebody making that statement. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Who cares? And I love these stories, man, where it's, these, this is, these are news stories now where they go, Bill Maher bashed. And it's like, by who? At Ashley dot Ashley, right? The 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 lady from Toronto. I mean, it's like you know what I mean. Greg Capullo. Who, who the? They make it sound like like press and celebrities are going after him, or pe- or people of note. I should say, this is a guy who r- routinely says horrifically racist and offensive things. No one cares about his views on comic books. Oh, Folks, God. let's get on with the show. And at the same time, on with a Joe, please, Joe, please, Joe for me. What the hell song is that? Little Shop of Horrors, Grow for Me, sung by Seymour himself. The only song I remember is Suddenly Seymour. Suddenly Seymour. Great movie. Great songs. I used to mow lawns to the soundtrack. You don't know uh, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space? Nominated for an Oscar. I don't remember it. I mean, I remember the idea of the song. I don't remember how it goes. The only one I could remember is was Suddenly Seymour. How about Steve Martin's Dentist song? Pat, I'll say it again. The only one I can remember is Suddenly Seymour. When I was younger, just a bad little kid. You don't remember that one? I remember it existing. I don't know how it goes. Very funny performance by Steve. Uh, when I was a kid, it upset me. I didn't like seeing him play a bad guy. Yeah, it's rare with him, but yeah. <clears throat> Similar vibe. Not brought... rare. Not medium rare. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Joe and I went and had a little dinner last night, and Joe's like, ah, oh, that place is too expensive. It's crazy. I'm like, ah, oh, you're out of your mind. Check comes, it's like $70. <laughs> 
It's a ripoff. It is a ripoff. A goddamn prime rib dinner shouldn't be $48. Yeah. That shouldn't be the base price for the prime rib dinner. No. Prime rib is not that expensive of a meat. I think it's just the word prime. They think they can throw things around. I'm oh I'm, I'm going to open a Transformers themed steakhouse. Do you see where this is going? I I do. Optimus Prime Rib. Yeah, I didn't need to finish it. Uh, let me take you over to Pat's movie corner, and I'll start with a picture I watched when I woke up in the middle of the night, as I do every night, in a hot panic. The movie is the new film from the Coen Brothers. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I've heard it's very funny. Some of the stories are very funny, I've heard. Joe, it isn't funny at all. That's uh, how I'll start this off. (laughs) Now, I heard the first story is really funny. No. All right. It's got a couple laughs in it. It's got Dave Crumholtz in it. Old Davey K. Uh, A much heavier Dave Crumholtz. Shot a while ago. Um... Yeah, it is. I mean, I I truly, truly love the Coen Brothers, almost without fail. They've had a few in recent years, and they had kind of a dark period around the Lady Killers days where they took a dip for me. But uh, this, for me, ranks right at the bottom of the pack. Worse than impetuable beauty or whatever the fuck that one was called. What was intolerable cruelty. Yeah, I like intolerable cruelty. Some some big laughs in that movie. I'm not a fan. I hate the way it's shot. Okay. Uh, I don't like that film that whatever that film filter they use through the whole movie is, which was kind of popular at that time. I don't care for it. All right. Looks like it's supposed to be like a bad like action movie or something. I, I hear what you're saying. That, that was not their greatest time, and I think the past few years have not been their greatest time. Serious Man is kind of their unsung masterpiece. Everything after that has left me a little cold. But What came after that? The one about the Bob Dylan guy walking around the East yeah. Village for two hours? Which I thought was fine, Lewin Davis, but I didn't love. I didn't see it. Coen Brothers movies always uh, reward repeat viewings, but this is the first one where I was like not super engaged with that first viewing i kept having to kind of recycle myself up like if i'd pause it to get a drink of water I, i'd be like do i really want to go back maybe i'll watch it tomorrow or something and part of it is that it's six stories it was announced three months ago as being a series a western anthology series then it just kind of drops as a two and a half hour movie with no explanation it is six stories nothing really ties them together except it's like pages of a book um, the first one is Tim Blake Nelson, who is a very strange actor who I've always liked. So it's like the poor man's Tim Roth. Yeah. Or the rich man's Stephen Baldwin. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He plays like a singing cowboy, like a Hank Williams, and he is kind of walking th- or you know, going through the the uh the countryside on his horse. It's unbelievably shot. It looks incredible, sings a catchy little song. Then he goes in, and the gimmick of this one is he's a singing cowboy who's like a cold-blooded killer. It's probably the most entertaining of them. It's brief. It's nice to see Crumholtz. There's some extreme violence in it. And it kind of plays like a Looney Tunes short, really. I liked it. Okay. The second one is James Franco. Like, forget forget phoning it in. Like, he's having a friend phone it in. <laughs> and it's the you're working with the Coen brothers. Just a lazy fucking performance. Look, Franco is not a good actor. He's just good at being Franco. Yeah, he's really bad in this movie. Yeah, like when you put him in the role of, you know, like in the interview or whatever, where he's the party guy. that went, Yeah. He's great. He's super funny. When you put him in anything where he has to bounce out of that, except for the, except for the fucking Room movie that he did, which I thought he was pretty good at. The uh, it's it's he's not good. Like it doesn't, you know. They got him in Planet of the Apes as a scientist. It's like what? Yeah. Might as well have Jim Belushi in there as a fucking scientist. I think the box office might have suffered. <clears throat> uh, it's him and then Stephen Root, like tap dancing, acting circles around him. But um, Stephen Root playing like an old crazy dude. That one is fine, but kind of a weak story. There's a really good one with Tom Waits as an old prospector. Oh, I love that. 
I don't like Tom Waits' music, uh, but he's really good as a as an old prospector. He's a great actor. It's be- that one is insanely well shot. He clearly it's like one of the better parts he's ever had. Um, it was kind of interesting. There's like a, a real long one with Zoe Kazan, the girl from uh, The Big Sick. And that one is like 45 minutes and just not an interesting story at all. And then <clears throat> at the end, there's one where like five people, one of them being Tyne Daly, are like sitting in a stagecoach talking. Tyne Daly? And it made these sitting in a stagecoach talking scenes in Hateful Eight that were like 45 minutes. <laughs> Seem briskly paced. <laughs> so at this point, I'm doing a lot of like pausing on the Apple TV, and I'm like, really? We still have 45 minutes? It's it's almost 2.30, and I have never, whether I love them or hate them or they grow on me or I love them in first viewing, never on a Coen Bros movie have I been bored, and I felt bored. It's worth your time. I would watch it as originally intended in six parts and watch a little story a night. Because, frankly, it just gets a little tiring. I think I even forgot to mention one because I can't remember it. But it's it's not great. It's not great. Okay. Uh, I, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I uh, have been watching uh, the new season of It's Always Sunny. Yes. I'm enjoying it tremendously. I haven't seen all of it, but the ones I have seen I like very much. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much for anybody. If you're a fan of the show, you should see it. I think you'll enjoy it. Particularly the Me Too episode was very ballsy and very funny. And yes. they once again took a, a, a sort of social commentary issue head on and made jokes and somehow pulled it off and it worked. Uh, it's, it's, it's very impressive to me that they pulled that off at this point. Um, but I've been enjoying the new season. I mean, it's over. It's already played all the way through. Yes. Um, I saw them all. Giant swings, highs, lows, a couple episodes that really didn't work, a couple episodes that were all-time classics. Uh, and that's the nature of doing a show like that. If you're going to take those big swings, you're not going to land every one. Right. Uh, I admire what they do. I thought the finale, much talked about uh, the ending of the finale, was kind of spectacular. I don't know that it is always sunny. I don't know that it uh, necessarily counts as the show, but it was interesting, and I respected the chance that they took. My take on that was they had to do something heartfelt to make up for all the yeah lowbrow jokes they made at the beginning of the episode. Sure. I thought the episode was really funny, but, you know, in this day and age, obviously it's dicey to make those types of jokes. And I think that was their way of saying to the audience, like, look, guys, we're, we're joking. We get it. We understand what this is. Yeah. Um, but that being said, what, you know, it was a spectacularly choreographed dance sequence. It was not It's Always Sunny. No. And what I really d- disliked about it was, um, well, this is going to be spoiler, but whatever. Danny DeVito starts crying or his character starts crying, uh, Frank starts crying, who's the biggest scumbag character of all of them. Yeah. Uh, and and he's crying because he's he finally understands, like, Mac's struggle as a gay man. And that's very nice and everything in real life. But yeah. this is a show where it is it hinges on these people never fully respecting one another. Like, I thought they were even pushing it when they did the episode which was funny, where they did, like, the Charlie Day, right. and they made all the gifts for him and stuff. Yeah. Like, that was as... You can't go any far. These people are constant. It's the beauty of the show is that it's almost like a married with children thing. Like, they'll band together against a common enemy, mm-hmm. but they are never... You're never going to see... You never saw an episode of Married with Children where Bud's like, I, Kelly, I, I love you, and I appreciate you as my sister, and I don't say it. And It's like, it's just not what it is. Right. So that's that's the only thing I didn't like about it. And also, I like my comedies funny, as I've often said. And, you know, especially with a show that irreverent, I don't, I don't, you know, it was an impressive sequence, but I wasn't thrilled that the season ended on this, like, suddenly very serious note. Then again, it could have just been a setup because when Dennis left at the end of last season, it would, they played it pretty straight. But yeah. then they put a button on it as a joke. Right. Where they blow up his Range Rover. This, I kind of think they were just maybe taking that a step farther 
making people think like, oh, wow, the show's taking a turn, and then next season it'll just be the show again. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. They had several sweet moments. They gave D the steak in the premiere or the escape room one. Yeah, uh, at which, yeah, that was, yeah. But it was also like they still had the thing in there where they were like telling the escape room lady to fuck off. Yeah, correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would have liked a little... I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. Uh, I remembered the other story, which actually was kind of a cool story about... We're going back to the Buster Scruggs? <laughs> well, it's Liam Neeson. He's, and he, he totes around this uh, armless, legless kid who recites all the great speeches of history. And then little by little, the audiences start slipping, and Liam Neeson sees that there's a chicken who can add... And like pecks the right answer to math questions, so he decides to like dump the stump kid and move forward with his chicken. And you think that they're like dear friends and they've made this relationship, but he's all about just making money, which seemed a real commentary on the entertainment industry. However, this well, segment, don't tell me the end of it. Segment took twenty five minutes. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, what I just told you is the story, and 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 I got the point I mean, in look, and everything. So far, I want to see this film. I, I, I even the Tyne Daily segment, <laughs> but uh, it's it's all right, and it's interesting. But it's it's one I don't think I'll revisit. Uh, I, my, mean, I yes. felt that way about Oh Brother Where Art Thou the first time I saw it because I was grew on me, it grew on me, and it grew on me. But yeah. I was riding such a high from Big Lebowski. Sure, nothing they did could have followed it for me. And sure. then when I saw. Oh, brother, we're out there. I was disappointed. And then the more I watched it, the more I was like, oh, I get it. Right. It just, I had to get a little distance. I watched They'll Love Me When I'm Dead. Yes. Which is the new Netflix documentary about Orson Welles' kind of final film. That uh, is now released on Netflix as well. I have not watched the film. I wanted to see the making of prior. I've heard the film is mocking self-indulgent directors of its day, but that it mocks them so well that it just feels like you're watching a self-indulgent director make a <laughs> 70s drug movie. Um, but the documentary was pretty interesting. Uh, Orson Welles is always a fascinating character, just yeah. a drunken mess. I love. I, I saw half of it and then I shut it off because I didn't want to. I was afraid they were going to spoil the movie. I don't think the movie can be spoiled. I think it's just like a head trip movie. Um, but I loved it. Yeah, the I documentary is great. Peter Bogdanovich, one of history's greatest uh, smarmy douchebags, used yeah. to great effect as uh, Dr. Melfi's therapist on The Sopranos, where he would have an ascot and a, th a thermos. <laughs> would always pour water out of this thermos that cracked me up every time. But he is, I mean, you can find him on almost every DVD of a classic film, sticking his nose in there yeah. with some big anecdote. He is such a windbag, but I, I do love him. He, uh, they show, in the documentary, they show a clip of him in The Other Side of the Wind, yeah. which is what the documentary's about. That's the movie. And uh, it's Peter Bogdan was talking about like being in the movie. Yeah. And it cuts to his part, and he's like, he's like, Oh, sir. He plays a reporter. He's like, what did you think about the... Thi and you're sitting there going, what the fuck is he doing? And yeah. then he cuts back to him and he goes, for some reason, Orson told me to play it like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, or around the time this movie came out, like Last Picture Show and stuff dropped, and then Orson Welles started getting insanely jealous of Peter Bogdanovich, who he was dear friends with and had him in this movie, so he started turning against him. But uh, it's a good story if you like old Hollywood shit. Uh, it's very entertaining. I also, my favorite part of the film was seeing the interviews with, the footage of Orson Welles doing interviews with the press and stuff where he was not inebriated or anything. Because Orson Welles now, it's, it's, a lot of him has been reduced to these like clips that leak out of him doing like these wine commercials Hilarious. and shit where he's wasted. Yeah. It was nice seeing him at the end of his life like talking to people and and be collected and cognizant and being yeah. charming and funny and you're like okay this is like why this guy was good at what he did i can't believe it though they're like they talk about how he couldn't like he never could have matched citizen kane they just he's made so many brilliant movies like i'm just like wh who looks at these movies and goes yeah 
Touch of Evil, Lady from Shanghai, Magnificent Ambersons. Said he couldn't recover from Touch of Evil. It's considered are, one of the greatest films ever. Yeah, now these are all great movies. Uh, yeah, but it's it's a interesting documentary. I, I don't have a comment on the film itself because I haven't watched it yet. That's a that's a great scene in Ed Wood when he meets Orson Welles. Yes, the studio wants me to cast Charlton Heston as a Mexican. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um. Well, that that counts as my number two as well. Okay. Then, folks, I'm going to, because last time I recommended it after the fact, I'm going to recommend it while it's on because for whatever reason, even though no one ever talks about it, nobody has the channel, I tend to like the offerings of the Cinemax Network. They are reduced to the joke of Skinemax, but they're much more. Uh, They did an amazing show called Quarry that lasted one season that no one in the world saw. I urge you to check it out. It was great. It starred Logan Marshall Green, who is also the star of Upgrade. Um, And what they have going now is season two of Tales from the Tour Bus. Season Mm -hmm. one about the outlaw country guys was a real treat for me every week. This is no different. Uh, The first one is about uh, George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. The second one is a two-parter about Rick James, bitch. And they're great. I told Joe the funniest story in the George Clinton one is they talk about being on acid. They go in. They're performing in this like hotel ballroom. They're like, we're all tripping our balls off. At one point, Clinton lifts his, like, he's got like a, a blouse type thing on. He lifts it up and is whipping his dick around, shaking his dick around. They're like, oh, fuck, we're going to get in trouble. It's Bootsy Collins telling this story. He goes, anyway, we played for two hours maybe the tightest we'd ever performed the best show we'd ever done we were high out of our minds then the lights come up there's not a single person in the motherfucking auditorium (laughs) and we realized we were at the wrong place nobody had seen us play for two hours i was laughing so hard and they cut over to george clinton in the present day and he goes and and i'll tell you what else that was neither the first nor the last time that that happened (laughs) Just a perfectly told story. Uh, and just the thought of like playing the best show of your life and no one is there, but you think people is there is pretty amazing. Who, but who's, here's my question. You got to go through a sound check. Who's like who's I, helping them set up? I mean, I assume they just kind of like were like, this must be it. And everybody was like, okay, just going along with it. I guess the tour, the, the, everybody was just fucked up. I think they were at the right hotel, but in the wrong ballroom or something. I'd have to watch it again to get oh the Oh, my the God, details. that's funny, man. It's a great story. Tales from the Tour Bus. It's on Cinemax. They've only aired two. I think the third one airs tonight. Check it out. Or last night, if you're listening to us on Monday. Um. Joe, did you have a pop tart? How are pop tarts these days? Are they the They're same delicious. recipe? Eat one of these. I don't want one, but I got them for us. I know. You want some of that mix that I got? Whatever that Gardettos. Yeah. No, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, I don't want this shit. I don't eat this crap. Why'd you buy it? Because I thought we would need it to snack on something instead of just drinking blindly on an empty stomach. Well, then have I have it. Who's I stopping you? Do it alone. It's a bonding experience. I'm getting the nutrients from this five-calorie orange juice. I'm going to make us two fresh ones, but first, let yeah. me uh, hit you with some scary stuff. Please. You didn't uh, get, make name your third your third picture? I, I don't have one because I'm saving my three. The, I have All three right. left. I'm going to save them for the next episode. All right. Because um, we're going back-to-back today. But uh, I, will, I will hit you with the scary stuff real quick. Uh, for Nintendo fans out there, uh, pretty cool reissue of a game that was only originally released in Japan. The game is called Holy Diver. Coincidentally, also the name of the best Dio record and the best Dio song. Uh, Holy Diver is a Castlevania-esque type of video game. Haven't you talked about Holy Diver? Because I think I sang Hold Me Closer, Holy Diver. I don't think I talked about this yet. All right. Why else would I have sang Hold, Hold Me Closer, Holy Diver? Well, maybe you just sang it to me when we were hanging out. Okay. Um, anyway, this game was originally only released in uh, J- uh, Japan. Um, it was. Uh, it is a Castlevania-style game, but much darker, much, you know, it's v- much more horror-themed. Well, not, I shouldn't say much more, but it's sort of like a darker Castlevania, but the same style of game. Anyway... 
It was only released in Japan until uh, very, very recently a company picked up the rights and has reissued it, and you can now, Retrobit is the company, you can now get reissues of it not only in Japan, but in the States as well. I actually got mine in Japan, so I have the Japanese reissue of this thing because I didn't know they released an American version, but they did, uh, and you can get that if you prefer. But the Japanese version is plenty playable. Um, you know, it's not really a role-playing game, so when the text comes up and you can't read it, it doesn't really matter. You, 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 you can piece the story together, people. Um, but... Great horror video game for horror fans out there. I highly recommend you seek out this beautiful reissue they did um, in a in a nice new box with, I think there's a deluxe edition that has all kinds of weird goodies in it and stuff. Um, but check it out if you have yourself a Nintendo. All right. Now, Pat, take the wheel because I'm going to make us two more goof juices. Sure. Um, I will take that wheel. I'd like drive this. Oh, Joe wants me to make a joke about how cars have wheels and planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, make your own joke out of there. I'm sure it'll be great. Um, Plants, Trains, Automobiles. My history with the film, I was not allowed to see R-rated movies. It's been well covered on this show. My dad, I, I whenever I'd catch a little wind, like he, once in a while he'd be like, well, I can't remember why that would be rated R. Then I knew that I could really work on him, perhaps convince him to watch it again and decide if it met his strict criteria. So he watched Planes, Trains, the only R-rated content in it, because it definitely shouldn't be rated R, is that Steve Martin says fuck 45 times talking to the lady at the car rental counter. Edie McClurg, character actress extraordinaire, also played the uh, Secretary Grace in Ferris Bueller's Day. Uh, I love Edie McClurg, and she's somebody where I'm like, how is she not in more stuff, and how has she not won awards? I know. Well, she was on the fucking Hogan family, which was like the most you got of her. She was the annoying next door neighbor. I mean, she's she's really good, man. She's uh, great. I tried to get her on my show and they were like, she's kind of out of the game. So uh, I think she might have had some health issues. I was supposed to do a podcast with her once. Oh, OK. In Austin, Texas. And, and the reason I said yes was because they said Edie McClurg is appearing on this. Right. And I got there and they go, she had to cancel. She was sick. Yeah. Which it might have just been a lie. To, to, right. get, to get a name like me down there. They just use her as bait, Edie McClurg. Um, that is an amazing, amazing scene in the movie. It's a great scene. Uh, I remember the excitement that washed over me when my dad re-watched it and said it was okay for me to see it. He did not even make me leave the room for the fuck scene. But uh, my favorite comedic actors at the time, and really, I mean, essentially right up to the present, were John Candy and Steve Martin. My favorite writer-director was Mr. John Hughes. And the fact that this movie existed and I was unable to see it tore me apart inside. Probably watched it when I was 12, 13. Uh, I'd say it's a tamer of the John Hughes films. I agree. It's, it's tamer than some of his PGs. It's when he starts clearly moving towards more family-oriented stuff. Yeah. You know, it's pre... It's it's not too long before Home Alone. Right. You know, Dutch, all that stuff. Love you know, Dutch. where he kind of gets out of kids fucking yeah and into uh adults yeah 16 candles is pg way racier than plans trains which came out three years later and is rated r 16 candles is pg are you sure about that came out just before the pg-13 rating there's tits in it there's a joint there's a fuck but Um, and there's a you know what some people argue now was uh date rape yes yes uh the uh the 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 opening line of the steve martin thing is, I mean, it's just, you know, you can start by wiping that stupid fucking <laughs> smile off your rosy fucking face. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great scene. Uh, watching it the other night, and maybe it was just being high, 
all of my laughs came from Candy. I think that is one of the best performances, not just comedic performances, one of the best performances of all time is John Candy in Planes, Trains. He's amazing. And Steve Martin, who is a master, especially at this kind of uh, straight man role, he's the perfect straight man, but he's kind of playing catch-up to Candy. Candy is... I don't think he's playing catch-up. I think he's, he's, playing his, he's playing his part. He knows where He knows where to do it. Yes. He knows how to do it. Uh, anybody else that... Martin could not have played the John Candy part. That's for damn sure. A less... Sca- well, I don't think anybody but John Candy could have played the Candy yes. part. Yes. But my point is, is a less skilled actor than Steve Martin would have been in there trying to chew up the scenery. Right. But Steve Martin knew. He's like, no, you let you lay back. And it's all about my reaction to this guy and not about me being funny. Yeah. I think a, a similar performance to that is Nicolas Cage in Honeymoon in Vegas, which is a very underrated movie as well. That kind of great slow build frustration that has moments where it gets a little big, but nothing crazy. My only issues with the film, seeing it as a you know a thirty-seven-year-old man and no longer a child, is stuff like when he's walking off the runway, Steve Martin, and St. Louis Lambert Airport. When he walks into the place, he's got his tie wrapped around his head. <laughs> and I was like, well. So the wind blew his tie from his neck up to his head? Like, in a movie that is so character-based and so realistic, they make a few choices where you're like, what are you doing? And I'm not talking about when they turn to skeletons and when you see John Candy (laughs) as the devil. Because that that fucking made me howl. That, for seeing it with an audience, that thing played huge. Uh, Candy in the devil suit is is pretty magnificent. I have that... uh, uh, as a framed picture in my in my home. It's pretty magnificent, and he's doing that candy laugh. Yes. It's pretty great. Uh, there's just a few of those little moments, and then the biggest issue, and it's pretty egregious on a big screen when you have that the sound system pumping, is it has one of the worst musical scores <laughs> in the history of film. Right. It almost derails the movie in, in spots. The worst offender is, of course, they go back to it again and again, this shitty hip-hop beat, like turntables. <laughs> and then Steve Martin's voice from earlier in the film going, you're messing with the wrong guy. So you're looking at Steve Martin doing something and hearing his own voice say lines that you've already heard over a rap beat, and it's so fucking bad. Uh, last night, I was at an event, and I met... Mark Boone Jr., okay, who's an actor that I'm a fan of. Uh, he's in San- Sons of Anarchy, plays uh, Bobby Munson, and uh, he was in Memento. He was in Batman Begins is what I know him from mostly. He plays Bullock in Batman Begins, and he's okay. great. He plays a great dirty cop. Anyway, he's at this event that I performed at, and I noticed in the audience while I was on stage he was laughing. I thought, oh, great. I can go like meet this guy. Right. Uh, and I, I walked up to him and I was like, hey, man, I just want to say I'm a big fan of your work. And he was like, hey, man, that was really funny. I really liked it. I was shit faced at this point. Sure. This is hours later. Uh, and I go, I love what you do, man. Batman begins. Delirious. Yeah. You're in delirious. Right. Let me and look uh, him up. with John Candy. And he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, man. And I go like this. I go, you've been playing with this, haven't you? And he goes, I'm sorry, excuse me? And I go, you've been playing with this, haven't you? And he goes, what, what are you talking about? And I go, that's your line in Delirious. You're the cable guy. And, you go, I've been, and he goes, oh, I can't fucking remember, man. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I'll let you go. <laughs> you think even if he did remember stuff, he wouldn't remember uh, Delirious. I felt really stupid. I know who this guy is. He looks like, uh, who does he look like? He's got a wild look. Yeah, he looks like a, a troll almost. All right. Well, I mean, you don't have to cut the guy down. But he he was uh, on Sons of Anarchy. Yes, that's correct. I mean, he was born to be on Sons of Anarchy. He looks like a biker. Yes. There's no more perfect role for him. But then when you see him all shaved down, he's barely recognizable. Like in Delirious, it's I didn't even yeah. realize it was him. Yeah. Do you have his IMDb up while you were talking to him and go through each film? James. I did style? also say I own a perfect place on DVD, and he went, 
a perfect place. And I went, it's a short film you did where you'd got to hide the dead body. I bought it because Mike Patton, my favorite musician, he like he did the soundtrack, so I bought it, and it came with the DVD. It's a pretty good uh-huh. little short. And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, cool, thanks. It seemed <laughs> as if he didn't remember most of what he <laughs> had been in. I mean, that's a guy who's in three things a year and doesn't think anything of it. Probably done a lot of drugs, let's be real. He he looks like he might like to have a good time. Yeah, uh, you know, but I can't I can't speak for that. Anyway, I just brought that up because it was a candy thing. Sorry. Back to the trains, planes, trains. Quite all right. Um, yeah, the score. I mean, it helped me out. I I bought on Amazon the soundtrack to Planes Trains for like a penny. Why? Because I loved the movie so much. I was like, I'd like to have it. This was years ago. Does I it have that it. rap beat on it? It does. I got it. I played it. I was like. This soundtrack is terrible, especially for John Hughes, who like was a connoisseur of good music. So, well, it seems like that was probably around the time where it got a lot more expensive to put songs in movies. Yeah, and uh, he was like, "We we need an original." He did score, you know. Um, but I also, saw... we were talking about it last night. That the that fucking awful sentimental. King, king, king. Oh God, king. I hate king, it. King. Yeah, and like the scene where John Candy's sitting in his car, where he's like, "You did it again. You can't shut up, Candy." It's like a very sad scene. <laughs> the whole time, it's like, "Ding, ding, ding!" <laughs> like same volume as his beautiful monologue, <laughs> and it's annoying. The end every time you go away is like, you know, that works. That's a, a pop song, but they got this shitty version of it. Like, even a, the Hall and Oates version would have been better. It's a terrible version of the song. Um, yeah, it's like the version you get on like the CD you buy at, at the checkout in the supermarket. Yeah. Where it's like all covers of right. songs. I'm uh, just surprised that, that Hughes let it all slide. The end of my little anecdote on the soundtrack is that this movie, while always well-liked, became sort of a Thanksgiving staple, I think, when Ebert included it in his Great Movies column, which usually was reserved for a Citizen Kane and stuff like that. And he put it in that company. He was a Chicago man, so it makes sense. But he was like, this is one of the best character comedies ever made. And he's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed at that point the movie developed like a big following. It became a yearly Thanksgiving tradition for people. I popped back on Amazon, mm-hmm. and I sold that soundtrack for $145. I still remember the price. A shitty used CD copy of the Plain Strand soundtrack. Now... I scrolled down. Yeah. I was on, I Google searched Mark Boone Jr. Yeah. First video, things get awkward in a hurry with Sons of Anarchy star Mark Boone Jr. <laughs> they, there's a paparazzi videotaping him coming out of the supermarket. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Joe, Joe apparently thinks we're doing a Mark Boone Jr. podcast. Hold on I'm, a second. I'm trying to talk about one of my favorite films over here alone. Uh, the the actor looks at the cameraman and says, "What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Like, what are you doing?" That that makes sense. I understand that. And then when the guy asks him about it, if there's going to be a Son of Anarchy spinoff, Boone says, "You know, man, it's the Mayan thing. Whatever. Good luck to them." <laughs> <laughs> I should have spent more time with this guy last night. Yeah. Um, I can't believe paparazzi are stopping this guy, but okay. Uh, Sons of Anarchy was a huge show. It was. Um, he was I, not even like a, a huge key role in it. I um, back to planes, trains. Yeah, I was going to say uh, I, I I met some I know somebody who is uh, famous who told and I'm not going to name names because I don't I don't roll like that, Pat. Sure. I don't roll like that. We already sure. said Pete Holmes once. That's as deep as I go. Um, uh, but a famous person. I was just talking about how I don't roll like that either with my good friend Fred Savage yesterday <laughs> on set. We were, we're both not those kind of guys. Speaking of which, I was at the Rainbow Bar and Grill the other night. I thought I could have sworn Ben Savage was in there. He might have been. It wasn't. I, no. I, was, I kept staring for a real long time, and then finally, after 20 minutes, realized that's not Ben Savage. Yeah. Anyway. Um, who was there though? Ron Jeremy, just looking like he crawled out of the deep fryer in the fucking. He must kitchen. live there. I've seen him like an outside of the hustler uh, bar and grill. <sighs> it's got to be a dark life, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway, 
Uh, I, I, a person I know that had lunch with Steve Martin, he, sa- he also said Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was his favorite movie. And he said he asked Steve Martin about the scene, you know, you want to hurt me? Yeah. I'm, easy, I'm an easy target, that whole scene. And, he, and Steve Martin said it was the fight of the century. The, the studio desperately tried to remove the scene. Really? Because they thought it was too heavy and too sad. Yeah. It's, I mean, these people don't know what the fuck they're... I mean, I've, I've never heard worse <sighs> decisions being made. It's literally what makes the fucking movie. This is a topic I can't get into today, or I'll I'll be out on the ten freeway, drunk, screaming at passing cars, <laughs> studio and network interference. But um, he, it's one it's one of the best scenes in movie history, and I had never seen it at a theater, so to see it, you feel the audience like laugh, 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 laugh at the Steve Martin line, cut over to John Candy's face. Everyone's like. <laughs> Like the air goes out of the room, then he'll build them back up laughing again because what he's saying is so funny. Yeah, but then they cut to candy again, and everybody's like, Ugh. and it happens over and over. It's, a, it's incredible. It's a brilliant, brilliantly scripted and acted scene. It makes you think you, about all the times you've been in both positions. Yeah, you are a hundred percent with Steve Martin laughing your balls off because up until that point, it's, it's tribute to how well written the script is. Yeah, up until that point. Candy's character is unbearable. Yeah. He's awful up until that point. And that's the first time you realize, oh, this is a person. He's not like a cartoon character. Right. And that's when you start to like Candy in that moment. Yeah. You know? Because up until then, yeah, he's the guy that steals his cab. He takes his shoes off on the plane. He does offer him uh, beer, Slurpee, hot dog, coffee. Yeah. He's like the crass guy. Yeah, hundred bucks of my left nut says there's no way we land in Chicago. Whatever, the, yeah. whatever the line is, <coughs> you know. So, but uh, but you know that scene is is truly truly incredible. It's such an amazing turning point in the movie, and it's the, and and then it's also when you realize like, oh, Steve Martin, it doesn't have it all together. Yeah, he's a he's kind of a shitty yuppie who's all in his own world and needs to learn that there are other people out there that aren't like. It's a fucking great movie, man. Jesus Christ. Yeah, at that time, Steve Martin was always the hero of these things, and he kind of is. And in these movies, and in the millions of movies that have ripped this off, your due dates, whatever it may be. um, You're Dutch. You're Dutch, and I fucking love Dutch, but this one is so much more nuanced than that because you are totally on Steve Martin's side, and then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Because generally they would treat that guy as a joke the whole time till the last two minutes of the movie, and then it's like, oh, he's not a joke anymore. Now we care about him because you need to for the movie. Yeah. But this is like, no, let's treat them both as like real, actual human beings throughout. They both learn from each other, and John Candy learns like, yeah, you can't just flap your gums all the time either. Like, like they both have a, a very valid lesson that they take away from this movie. Well, also when you realize that the you know the Candy's character is the way he is because he's running from the pain of having lost his wife. Yes. And he can't go home and like this is this is sort of the cocoon he's created for himself. It's fucking heartbreaking. Also, and I don't say this to be crass. I for real, I'm really asking this. That last scene where he meets the wife. Yeah. It seems a little flirty, doesn't it? The way she's like, "Hello, Mr. Griffin." Was that you saying this? <laughs> no. I no. Somebody brought it up at work and I was like, "Shut your fucking mouth." Like, don't you ruin this movie. Shut the fuck up. Seems a little weirdly flirty. And then I watched it and couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> She's not f- being flirty. I know that's not the intention, yeah. but it's odd the way they... The, it, it almost seems like they're going to bang or now something. you're ruining it for all these people. It, I wish I'd never had that thought in my head, to be honest. Oh, it's fine. Now, let it's me just... throw this at you. This might, this might floor you. John Candy, when this movie was made, 35 years old. Jesus Christ. Man looks 53. <laughs> Easily. 35. I mean, if he was 40. Steve Martin was 27. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he was born in 1950. So he would have been. Let me double check this because I realize we say a lot of things wrong on this podcast week after week. Um, yeah, born in 1950. So he died when he was 44. So in Wagons East, he was only 44. And then this was 87. Yeah. By the way, uh, back to the Mark Boone Jr. video. 36, something like that. Pushing a full shopping cart to his car, it has a thing of toilet paper in it. That's it. 
Is that like Arrowhead? I don't know. It looks like a place I go on. So right supermarket. Look at that. Full shopping cart. All that's in it is the toilet paper. <laughs> the man. I mean, would you want to be stopped while you're taking out a 84-pack of toilet paper? I'm just saying, wouldn't you just carry the toilet paper to your car? You would. You would. Um, anyway. So, yeah, 37 when Plans Trans came out. We lost, we lost many, many great years with John Candy. It's a terrible we, thing. Uh, we just age differently now. I, I, I was watching Seinfeld the other day. Yeah. There's a scene where George is like, I'm 33. I deserve more. And like... What the fuck? Well, it's because and I think he was actually like 33. It's because people <laughs> like that were allowed on television and in movies. That's the difference. The, of course, you know a 33-year-old who looks like a young George Costanza, but only beautiful people are, were generally on TV and in movies. I don't know any 33-year-old <laughs> that has aged that poorly. I think also when you see somebody from when you're a kid, they seem impossibly old, but they are not. It's just it's just an odd thing. It's to, like to me, you're gonna tell me you don't notice the difference between a modern day Jason Alexander and a 33 year old Jason Alexander. Well, of course, he looks older now. Yeah, but I mean that you know, it's just it's, it's, a, it's a different aging process. Right. You watch that show. There's no part of you that goes Jerry Seinfeld is a man in his early 30s. You, you ever true. True. It's like it's just and, and part of it is because of lifestyle. You just grew up differently. Yes. You know, it's like the, they're, they're, those well, the are friends all looked 25. They all felt young sort of. Yeah. But it's just interesting to me, like the thing they do on Seinfeld a lot is like they get cake and coffee. Right. As younger people. Yeah. That's an old person thing to do. But yeah. it was just a different time, I guess. I feel like our Seinfeld would be like, you know. Just we're doubled over in a fucking bar, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, oh, Christ, you know, I, I have a crush on those blue sweatpants lady. Hey, do you want to go get drunk? You have a crush on a blue sweatpants lady? That's one of the, the plots in Seinfeld. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. He goes, that girl, of course, the girl in the blue sweatpants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we were going to do a commentary on Planes, Trains. It wasn't streaming anywhere, which is absurd. We are planning a commentary for the near future. We'll do one. We hear you. This one was widely requested, so we felt okay breaking the format. And it's Thanksgiving week. And it's Thanksgiving week. Uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Have a good one. Watch this movie if you can, because it's absolutely fantastic. A great Michael McKean cameo, also from the, uh... Better Call Saul family. I'm not remembering that. It's the cop who pulls him over. Oh, that's right. Do you feel this vehicle is safe for highway travel? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I really do. You couldn't... It was really cool in a the theater to hear it. Like, lines were... You couldn't hear lines, which is really rare a in a movie that's like 30 years old. It's awesome. Well, that's like when we saw Smokey and the Bandit. It was yes. awesome, man. Uh, the uh, Oh, I got to mention my favorite line in the whole entire movie, though. Is, I'll do uh, mine as well. Is, uh, we were robbed... You think so? <laughs> Do you think so? <laughs> Incredible. It's so unexpected. Because that scene actually plays kind of slow. And you're like, all right, get to the information. But it's all just building up for that. <laughs> Do you think so? <laughs> My favorite line is right after that, where they're trying to see if they have any credit cards. And Steve Martin's like, eh, you know, mine are going to work. Do you, what, do you have any credit cards? And he goes, Chalmers Big and Tall Men's Shop. <laughs> It's a seven-outlet chain in the Pacific Northwest. Great stuff. Unfortunately, it does us no good here. That response got like a two-minute laugh in the film. I couldn't pull myself together. And that felt probably wrong because Hughes always wrote great lines like that. He never left a line unfunny. That's what I most admire about him. But Candy also did a lot of improv. And that, that to me, smells like a Candy improv because I, I'm, I remember that amazing Home Alone improv about getting trapped with a dead body but uh what is that i don't remember it in home alone he's telling Catherine o'hara every every line he says in home alone apparently is improvised it was him and o'hara right. and he had 24 hours between movies he flew in shot it right. left and completely improvised the scene where he talks about how he's like don't feel bad about leaving your son home alone i left my boy <laughs> in the room at a funeral home with the dead body for hours. And he does this big monologue about it that is in Home Alone. And people forget about it, but it's an incredible scene. 
Uh, it's the uh, that's up there with the uh, and we look. I've, we've talked about it very recently, but the the, the another great Hughes monologue is the uh, is the Ackroyd. For sure, reminds me of a story my uncle would tell about yeah. a bunch of army patients that were being experimented on. <laughs> that escaped from the metal cages they were kept in. Yeah, found a group of campers, slaughtered and ate them. Yeah, <laughs> man's a great great joke writer. Right? The movie, oh, boy, is incredible. We lost John Candy too soon. Too the man, soon. Uh, we also like we lost his talent even before he was dead. He had four. His last four years were just kind of embarrassing. Same deal with Farley. I hear and Canadian bacon is okay. Canadian just, bacon sucks. I mean, it's not worse than Wagons East. I saw Wagons East opening day at the theater. I mean, it's it's not great. It can't be worse than Wagons East. Him and Richard Lewis on on the Western <sighs> Trail. Ugh. I mean, who, fan of both of them, but greenlit it's just... this picture. But uh, right before Wagons East was, uh, wasn't it like Only the Lonely? Only the Lonely's great. Yeah, I love Only the Lonely. Really good movie, showing it a little different side. Delirious got panned. I love it. Anyway, Joe DeRosa comedy on Instagram. Uh, uh, this weekend, shit. Yeah, if you're in Philly, I will be at the Punchline in Philadelphia Friday night and Saturday night. Two shows each night. Come on out. Work off that turkey dinner with a few aerobic laughs. <laughs> I'm at the Patrick Walsh, sort of on Twitter, sort of on Instagram. Uh, we have a great Instagram page. We'll see you in hell. Our, uh, is it see you in hell pod on Instagram? Yes. See you in hell pod. Um, they, uh, as I didn't even know, our friend Vince pointed out that they do these dialogue exchanges. Uh, that I often don't even remember, but are, are super funny on the Instagram. He was stories. loving them. Uh, yeah. I didn't know they did them either. And we're drinking the other end of bar, and he started reading them to me, and yeah. I was laughing. I never look at the Instagram stories, so <laughs> so now I am. Um, so yeah, thank you, to Emily, for all that. The Hog House Etsy page. Check out the merch. Yeah. Check out our Patreon page. And thank uh, you for all the support. Thank you for the support. And uh, cool kids, Friday nights, eight thirty, seven thirty Central. See you next time. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you in hell.